0: Club W is offering our audience members who are over twenty one and live in the US a twenty dollar credit plus free shipping on their first order of four bottles of wine as a new member of Club W. So check it out, clubw.com forward slash Dallas and get your drink on. That was good.
1: Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life.
0: From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, the New and Old Testament battle it out again, this round, slavery. The sad demise of my beloved print. The tale of the final Crow World Chief receiving his eagle feathers. All opportunities seem to create problems hate talking your exes, filthy attitudes, goodbye to the greatest, and a surprise visit from San Francisco State. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers, and my partner in crime, the savage philosopher, and middle figure of the gods, Daniele Volelli, as we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Towers Podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 90 of the Drunken Towers Podcast. Here we are again in beautiful Melrose Boulevard in Hollywood, California. That's correct. And there's Daniele Bellelli straight across from us.
1: With this magic bicep who bring joy to everybody who happens to gaze upon them. Yes, so on that note, a uh, couple of quick things. Uh, quick announcements, not the regular stuff. One, I'll put a link in the episode notes. We With Nick Gregoriades, Mark Burton from the um, Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood, we put together this awesome Conan guard. He's back in stock. Yeah, it's cool. Put, it's glorious. It's manly. It's everything you want out of life. So, <laughs> yes, check it out. Uh, I will mention later in the episode something about an Isabella video that you have to check out or your life will be forever meaningless, so make sure you do that. Um, what else do we need? We, of course, need to thank the trifecta of the glorious companies sponsoring us. On it, Datsusara and sure Design. With. You guys know the gig, and uh, Rich need to get out of here real soon, so we'll have to speed things up. I won't go through the whole spiel of why they are awesome. Please just check them They're out. Awesome. Yes, check out. See if uh, you're in the market for any of their products. If you are, by all means, please consider them. It's easy. Great bags, Alpha Brain, super shirts.
0: Yes, that helps. Have you enjoyed any of that fine Club W wine? Because i got to tell you, I had some 2012 Pacifica. That was quite delicious.
1: Oh man, I was like, they sent me three and I downed them all in a really short period of time. So that was, yeah, I would say that it was a successful experiment because I dug all of them. So click your way over to Club W and take a quick
0: survey of your individual tastes, four or five questions with their palate profile, which leads to recommendations that are tailor-made to your likings then pick from a whole plethora of choices. Right now, you can receive a $20 credit and free shipping on your first order by going to clubw.com forward slash Taoist, T-A-O-I-S-T. And off we go. The Brothers and sisters, it's time to unlearn what you've learned from the holy book itself and uh, today, I
1: think it's all about slavery. It sure is. And what better place to find out whether you should enslave your neighbors or not than the holy book? Well, it should say no, 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 right? If it's... Clear. Well, let's put it that way. In the 1800s, when in the United States, abolitionists and slave owners were fighting it out, they bought turn for ideological ammunition to the Bible how the hell is it possible that two sides arguing exactly opposite things both pick up the Bible and say clearly the Bible states that slavery is cool and the other guy is like clearly the Bible states that slavery is not cool clearly too many chapters yeah it's as Facebook would say, and that's becoming my favorite saying of all times, it's complicated. That's usually my answer to pretty much anything, right? So, who were the, uh, the slavers getting behind? Well... Oh, to
0: go all the way back to the, the thing with uh, Noah's uh, cane? Or, no, I'm getting well, yeah,
1: let's, there's a ton of stuff about slavery in the Bible, and that's part of the problem that is inevitably there are just a couple of contradictions in there. So, let's look at some of them. So, are we going
0: Old Testament or New?
1: Uh, mainly mainly old with a yeah. tiny bit of new.
0: Cause I remember Jesus going, when you get done healing the sick and, and helping the poor, go and save some
1: people. Well, but that's also kind of weird because Jesus, you know, slavery was the norm at the time of Jesus. And there's not one line coming out of Jesus' mouth either way. It just, it does not, it's neither pro or again, like the guy just does not say, oh my God, slavery is so fucked up. You shouldn't do that. It's not a topic. In, you know, they uh, just
0: found an, another set of Dead Sea Scrolls, and one little piece that they found in it was, don't worry, Lincoln will be along shortly.
1: <laughs> I see. He wasn't, don't worry, be happy. Yeah, he'll be here in a minute. So let's look at like, some of the stuff that abolitionists love, saying clearly the Bible is against slavery. So Deuteronomy 23, verses 15 and 16, it says, if a slave has taken refuge with you, do not hand him over to his master. Let him live among you wherever he likes and in whatever town he chooses. Do not oppress him. Pretty clear cut, right? Pretty clear. That's like, okay, against slavery, totally. And to add even more, Exodus 21 uh, 16 says, Anyone who kidnaps another and either sells him or steals him when he's caught must be put to death. So, you know. Slave owners, you're out of luck. That just bad, bad, bad The Bible is clear, right? <laughs> well, then good. They were all said, No troubles. It gets slightly more complicated with slavery in, like in Leviticus 25, verses 44 through 46, where it says, we it kind of clarified that all this prohibition about slavery is bad, only applied to enslaving fellow Jews, did not apply oh, to everyone else. that
0: old trick again.
1: So here we got a line that says, however you may purchase male and female slaves from the, among the nations around you. You may also purchase the children of temporary residents who live among you, including those who have been born in your land. You may treat them as your property. That's a great biblical line. You yeah. may treat them as your property, passing them on to your children as a permanent inheritance. You may treat them as slaves, but you must never treat your fellow Israelites this way.
0: Oddly enough, I never see that on any of the church signs that they put up. There. You don't see it at football games.
1: Leviticus twenty five forty four. <laughs> That'd be that's something that's, else if you did. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, that would be a good one, right? And this is where it gets interesting. Like one of the prizes that God gives to Abraham in Genesis was um, a bunch of slaves. As uh, slavery is mentioned Without a hint of condemnation Within the Ten Commandments Because you know In the Ten Commandments There's the short term version You shall not This, this and that But in some of them They kind of expand In the biblical text Where they like For example You shall not covet Your neighbor property he goes on explaining what their property is and you should not this his house and this and Don't that his and DVD among player, them, but precisely itself you know, the is okay. Including his slaves. So it's right there within the Ten Commandments. they do talk about slavery as something that you should not covet your neighbor's slaves. So there's that one is a little tricky. Well I've been confused about the Ten Commandments ever since you made it clear that it
0: only counts for those that are in the club. Right, it's... any heathens. Yeah, uh, it's a different uh, game. I mean, kill them, that's okay.
1: And here is where it also gets... If we want to push the accelerator on the disturbing passages, let's let's get real now. This was all warm-up. So Exodus 21 versus 2021. Here is what the good holy book tells us about slavery. Specifically, not just about slavery, about beating up your slaves. Um let's see well i'm sorry before that there was a glorious leviticus 19 where they spell out the rules for dutifully raping a slave woman in a way that's cor- biblically correct versus biblically incorrect but jumping into exodus 21 here is a nice pearl for you when a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod so hard the slave dies under his hand he shall be punished Okay, that's sweet. Wait, hang on. If, however, the slave survives for a day or two, he's not to be punished since the slave is his own property. Meaning, you are trying to kill him, then you are bad. But if you are just dutifully beating the hell out of him to teach him a lesson and oh shit I went a little overboard and I ended up killing him but you know it took a day or two no trouble that means I didn't really mean it or I would have killed him on the spot and then uh, shit you just broke your property that just happens
0: how many incidents did it require for this to become a rule
1: I don't want to know. I'm guessing a lot, but I mean that's specific. Yeah, that's pretty specific, right? I thought so. my I thought my credit card uh, uh, agreement was specific. Yeah, no, this gets pretty detailed. Like, yeah, you can if you beat them up and they die now. Well, then you're just mean. Murder. But if they wait a day or two to die, eh, shit happens. A little Not soft just- on them there, weren't you? Man, when you start spelling out the rules for properly beating up to death your slaves, that's usually there's a tiny bit of a problem there. I, 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 kind
0: of maybe the
1: last thing you would ever expect in the number one book. Again, I think that would make a great football game sign. Exodus 21, 2021. I know what I'm doing at all the Rams games. Right. <laughs> I'm <the> in <laughs> every, every week. <laughs> How to properly kill your slave. Right. Right. Well, here are a few other things, because so far we talk about Old Testament and the usual good Christian thing is whenever the Old Testament says something you like, it's the real deal. But if it doesn't, then ah, it's the Old Testament. We don't follow it. And the New Testament, again, there are passages that seem to go against slavery. Not explicitly, but, you know, like the do to others what you would have them do to you clearly would imply probably not. slavery, Right. There's. Or, you know, the idea of equality of everybody in front of God, slave and master, Jew and Gentile, all of that. Well, that sounds good, except that. (laughs) So uh, what do we got here? Titus 2, uh, verses 9 and 10. It says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything and to try to please them. That's New Testament. Also New Testament, 1 Peter 2.18. You who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you. Not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. Hmm. That seems legit. And in case you aren't paying attention, Ephesians 6, 5 and 6 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart. Just as you would obey Christ, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. This is all New Testament. okay? so, yeah. Now I'm sure, you know, anytime you have a question about where to go in life, pick up the Bible because with its clearly unambiguous answers. Yeah. It's a lot of great guidance in there. Is slavery good? Yes. No, 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 no. Is this, should I do it? Absolutely yes, except when it's no. It's like, so, yeah, that's why abolitionists and uh, slave owners could argue for decades about this stuff, all picking up the Bible, highlighting the parts they like, skipping the parts they didn't, and making it say, essentially, whatever you want, which is what everybody does with these things. Well, Tyrion should
0: just give them their seven years to get their... Affairs and- yeah, yeah, that seems a uh, fair compromise. <laughs> Which I found amazing is when uh, Lincoln actually proposed that at some point.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Lincoln, in fact, I mean, one of the things. Because it was like, we
0: can do something bad and have this war now, or at least we can take some time. And it looks like they picked war.
1: Yeah, Lincoln, I mean, was everybody's all like, Lincoln against slavery. He was kind of against slavery. I mean, he didn't like it, obviously, but he wasn't going to go about getting rid of it now. His view was more of a gradual, eventually it's going to go away. No. I don't need to squash it here and now. But uh, y'all will fight about it. Right. Southerners freaked out, broke away from the Union, and that was a problem. So, and then that was the time. Yeah, there was a great uh, Lincoln quote that basically said... Uh, If I could uh, keep the union together without freeing any slave, I would do it. And, you know, he makes it clear that the big deal is the holding the union together more than the slavery part. But in any case, so enlightened with this purse of wisdom from the holy book, I shall uh, leave you to meditate upon it until the next time. I find myself more confused than ever. But no weapon. Just this time. About the no weeping, didn't I just read that if I whip you but you don't die within a day or two, uh, uh, like... It just, the only rule say that you should not die right now, isn't that correct? You don't own me, bitch! Well... There's
0: a... St- <laughs> no, no! Ouch! Now it's Rant Time today. We have a special guest. Emily from San Francisco has joined us for her, her 11 weeks of freedom. from. from who is this, Emily from San Francisco? This is my fine daughter. Oh, I see. I Look, see I the fine. Look, exist point. and I'm
2: not just a figment of his imagination. Surprise. And since we've
0: been telling incredible stories about people not realizing that we know the language they're making fun of us in, I heard a great story the other day about a guy who was working with a Mexican crew and he was the only one that was a white guy. Right. But he was very fluent. In Spanish, and right. And they had a good time making fun of one of his man boobs behind oh, his back oh, that's until he slapped back with well at least they're nicer than your sisters
1: oh
0: everything goes silent uh, yeah and then everybody breaks out laughing yeah yeah and course. all was okay and it was understood yeah, from of there course forward. but it's probably not very uncommon yeah.
1: you the polyglot that you are probably all the time be spying spanish on i pick up spanish i understand and sometimes it's yeah, Spanish, I can understand probably 75% of what's been said. French the same so way? It's, no, French, I don't understand shit. It's the accent is so weird. And uh, no, and they have like 3,200 letters in a word that you don't pronounce. And it's like, no, French, I don't get. Portuguese a tiny bit because, again, it's, there's this sing-songy thing that's, you know, the word themselves are somewhat close to Spanish where I could get them, but the inflection is soft. So, really, no, mainly Spanish. I got Spanish, I got um, everything else, not really. So, this is, uh,
0: this is the last sort of live one until we get through the summer. So, we're going to go to pretty much interviews. But um, let's rant about something awesome. Well,
1: a couple of things I want to play with. One, first, I want to ask Emily something. So, philosophy, do tell. What's the, what do you dig about it? What philosophers do you dig about it? What's, why should anybody care? Um,
2: So the initial attraction to it was taking a critical thinking class Mm -hmm. and realizing that not everything was just bold and highlighted in a textbook, Mm -hmm. which is very, you know, that description is the banking system that our education system in the united states has right it's very okay well listen repeat regurgitate forget and with philosophy i found myself having to really you know there was no spark notes to it there was no clear-cut answers i really had to challenge myself to formulate some kind of response to well what is this person really saying and do you agree with it or you know there's and i'm you know, I'm his daughter. I'm as stubborn and as opinionated as it can get. And so the fact that I could sit there and kind of formulate a response and not be wrong, I mean there's definitely instances where I've completely misinterpreted somebody, but with that, um, you know, reading more into it, I really did appreciate that it made me think. It Mm -hmm. really causes you to get the brain running and, you know, get the little hamster to finally get its ass up and go around the wheel. And with you know, moving from that, I decided I wanted to teach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not sure what level yet, but I want, you know, hopefully to one day be lecturing Mm
3: -hmm.
2: because I want to stimulate that desire to learn, that passion and that fire to really think about things and think about it outside of, okay, well, here's the definition here. Let me just write that down on my homework and be done with this class and not really process anything anymore. Yeah, because
1: I mean, the, a lot of schooling is rote uh, memorization. And part of it is because that's easy to test. Mm-hmm. Like, if I give somebody a grade and it's like, look, I asked for this, you didn't know this shit, that's the, you got exactly. this outcome. A lot of the critical thinking is, uh, is very real, but it's more subjective. Because exactly. it's like, what I think is you kind of screwing up, somebody else, would, you know, and so it's hard to test it that way. So we're stuck with a system because everybody gets sued for anything that unless oh, you have yeah. you cover your ass in 72 ways you can run into trouble, then the only thing you can do is just pure stupid objective memorization where you either know it or you don't and there's no argument.
2: And I mean, looking at the generation, the younger generation, I mean, there's not really anyone I mean, that's kind of a bold statement. There's there's less of a desire to kind of go beyond what they're kind of pushing us to learn. I mean, look at how books are dwindling away and are almost obsolete with a lot of people. I mean, my sure. younger brother, a prime example, he's not one for the books, mm-hmm. which is not for everyone. Sure. But, I mean...
1: Yeah, I mean, that's also... That changing in the face of everything, because when you think about the yeah, I mean the publishing industry is going to shit because oh, yeah. uh, similarly, you know, back a few years ago, people if you put um, if you put together a DVD about a topic, you would have people who, now, you know, so much of our entertainment is free mm-hmm. all the time is you go on YouTube, you read something on a blog, you catch, you know, websites. So, I mean, people still consume information is just in a different kind of way with the good and the bad that go with it. Because clearly there are there are advantages and there are also obvious disadvantages the to that The interesting
2: game. thing about that is um, they, I don't remember which school it was specifically, but they put up a topic about how people don't read anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was That's... just a headline on a website. And you see people commenting, oh, my God, you know, I can't believe the younger generation, the millennials, right. or, oh, you know, I read all the time. If you click on the, the article itself, you see that it's, there's no information about that whatsoever. It's, it's talking Just about the, the fact headline. that it's a study. right. And it doesn't actually discuss the the lack of reading. Mm -hmm. It's it's just people will glaze over things and, you know, oh, I know what this is about. I'm going to speak on behalf of it.
1: Well, yeah, that's the other problem is, and that is a real issue in terms of when you have access, when you are bombarded all day long with information, which is an awesome thing because, I mean, Mm -hmm. compared to lack of information, it's better to have too much than too little. But then the problem that you get is really... Like, I know a lot of smart people. We won't mention names of some of our guests, but including some of our most brilliant guests with a really short fucking attention span that if you are in front of their eyes and you say, stop, grab their head, look at me. Oh, well, you know they are you know
2: ADHD now. Right. There's <laughs>
1: like, I mean, there are people that we have podcasted with and I'm talking about great people who once you turn the mic on and they are focusing on the conversation, they are the sharpest people in the world. The second you turn the mic off, it's like looking at a fucking monkey on speed. It's just <laughs> cannot, you're talking and it's like three words in, you have lost them. They are somewhere else and their mind is going in 22 different directions and you're like, Jesus Christ, stay with me here. You know, it's, and that's part of the problem of having too much stuff. Like sometimes I run into the, like sometimes I feel like I need to do mental diet where I should I want to speak less I want to listen less in the sense that I want less words around me once in a while where I'm just like too much shit, too much too much too much too much then when you do that for a while then it's like you go back and you choose what you like I know one of my bad addiction is that I have um, I like to reply quick to people so I always have email Twitter Facebook open at all times and I don't stay on one thing long enough because it's constantly... It's horrible. Like, I'm doing this thing and then I'm like, oh, what's this thing? Uh, Let me reply to this stuff. And and I'm doing too many things at once in a way that, yes, it allows me probably to interact with more people but with less effectiveness.
0: Well, it's definitely a mixed blessing because, you know, as far as, like, podcasts and things like that, they've certainly made the ride in the car much more, you know, dialing in to only what I'm interested in. Yep. Which there is a danger to, though, because if you're only listening to people that you like you might be missing things that you do need to hear that people you don't like are mentioning. Yeah, so no, and it's through we're it. getting so. more and more narrowcast towards ourselves. I was just, you guys were just talking, I found a survey that 28% of adults had not read a single book in the previous year.
1: Yeah, damn. That's. But then I
0: think about that photo, World War 2 they're on the train, and you're always worried about everybody's on their phone all the time. Yeah. Well, it's 80 people in a train car, and they've all got a newspaper. Yeah, yeah, of course. So it really... The more it changes, the more it is the same.
1: No, that's why all the bitching about, oh, the internet is ruined. It's like, fuck off, you know, just it go back in a cave. Yeah, yeah, no, there's great stuff with this. It's But like any opportunity, all opportunities also create problems. Yep. That's oh, just the nature of, of the business, you know. It's not that... This idea of linear progress—that you figure out something that's perfect, it works beautiful, and there are no indication it just doesn't exist. There's always this: oh, this is great because it opens up this thing, but, oh, but it we can also kill people scrolled. with it too. Exactly, it's just the nature of the game. But what do you dig, like in terms of? thinkers anybody in philosophy that you particularly dig
2: Um I'm really gravitating towards epistemology so all of theory of knowledge you know do we exist is any of this even real mm-hmm. and all of that I mean I had a great professor at state that just kind of opened that door and from there I mean the the reading is is ridiculous sure. in a lot of senses um I was doing a lot of looking at Moore and Guitar and the fourth condition and all of that and that was I love talking about it. So the the whole ex machina thing, you know? Yeah, like yeah.
1: Which, as Elon Musk would tell you, we are in the simulation and it's um, exactly it's it is. It's all the matrix. Right.
2: None of it's really existent and all of that. I think the
1: but the pizza tastes great. Yeah, I know. It's a great matrix. I'm all for it. The, um, I read uh, one guy that I dug for epistemology was Paul K. Feyerab. And I believe he did teach at Berkeley for quite a while. And uh, he was, he wrote these several books, but one of them was called The Gainsa, was it, I think it was either Against, against Method. Mm-hmm. And he was like a critique of that scientific method, which obviously is kind of funny because, you know, scientific method is the foundation of so many excellent things. But he was going, he, he, mm, he He basically preached the notion of an anarchist epistemology, Mm -hmm. one that's not bound to just one single way of getting information or proving things. Like, say, scientific method is a great tool, one among many, not the one and only way to measure everything that exists in the world. He was a fun guy. Some of his stuff was pretty interesting. My thing, I guess, with philosophy that I find weird is... um, there are some th- philosophers that I dig so much that are just excellent. I love 100%. And then mm-hmm. there are others that I don't give a fuck. Like, I don't get oh, one line late. in... But even, like, the big names, you know, the... Kant.
3: I can't yeah, stand Kant hate him. He oh.
1: sucks. Eagle. Uh, five minutes of it. Aristotle. Oh, fuck oh. me. Just, no, no, no. <laughs> that just... You know, a lot of these guys, um like, my brain turns off. Like, I start reading, and I don't process anymore. I'm just like, okay, this is not speaking to me. And the ones who do speak to me, they really do, and mm-hmm. I'm on. And the ones that don't... So it's funny. It was funny. I remember, like, even in, uh, in Italy, I had to do philosophy in high school. It was part of the curriculum and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And I remember, like, getting... I would either get... A plus, 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 plus or C minus. There was nothing in between because I either didn't give a fuck where I'm just like, I don't know what this guy's saying and I don't care and I don't want to know it, you know, or I would be just so into it at 100% because it's, I think my approach to philosophy is my approach to anything, really, but particularly when we talk about philosophy is it needs to elevate the quality of life. Oh, yeah. If it doesn't elevate the quality of life, why the fuck are we doing it? What's the you point
2: know? of publishing it if it's just going to make everyone miserable? Instead? Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> it's like if you have ideas that stimulate somebody's life in some way, come mm-hmm. on. I love it. And again, granted, that's subjective because obviously somebody may read Aristotle it, and find something amazing. I think it's crap. Whatever. That's part of the deal. So I get it that it's subjective, but to me, it's it's key. It's like it either speak to me in a way that really I can take some of this idea and help them make me transform life, or what? why the fuck are we wasting time with this stuff? You know, I feel that... So, yeah, it's tricky because my whole approach to it is so on and off. It's either 100% on or 100% off on some of the things. I
2: saw the exact same thing with some classes, and then I sit in on medieval, and I studied some of, um, I cannot remember the name, the Advaitas and I, Shankar. I studied some of that and that was interesting and then the rest of medieval philosophy came in and I was like oh my god I can't and Kill I checked out exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. so it is very hit or miss and it is subjective but at this point you know yeah. what what is it exactly. you know what doesn't have a personal kind of I prefer this and not that absolutely to it absolutely. also logic is the most terrible thing a part of my graduation requirement is to take a formal logic class Ooh. and you know
1: it hurts me already
2: Some people are kind of saying, oh, philosophy majors are just not good at math or science. And I'm not going to say that's not true. Mathematics was never a strong suit Uh of mine. Science, on the other hand, super great. But logic was miserable. It's got all of the Greek letters and all of this and all of that. And you have to make English into... I can't even think of the word. See, this is one I wanted to check out of yeah, and yeah. have already started to do of so. Course. It is just predicate logic and formulating sentences of English into symbols and vice versa. No, and I want
1: to grab a stick and beat them. But exactly. my it's, response. is On the math thing, by the way, there was a great... Um, uh, I was having my daughter do math the other day and <laughs> we were working on some stuff and I was telling her... Uh, she was surprised cuz i could actually help her i still can manage most first grade math but <laughs> and uh and she was we're talking about then her grandfather and she was uh, and i told her you know actually your grandpa really like if you think i'm bad at math he really sucks at math and and she was saying oh of course i can imagine that he's too busy Eating sweets, uh, uh, writing books, and buying me everything I want. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that's an excellent problem to have. That's, in a nutshell, yes, that is correct. That's what he does. Eating sweets, writing books, and buying everything I want. Hey, and
2: he's good at that, and she's good at math, and hey, the world is right.
1: It works,
0: exactly. Well, the government's going to be very happy that they're getting their money worth out of their grants for this fine child.
1: Yeah. I've never been so happy in my life. So switching gears, let's play with uh short-lived topic because there's not a whole lot to go on, but one that I felt like, hey, why not? Let's touch into it. I hear one of my many pet peeves uh, is I are really turned off when I hear people talking mad shit about their exes, you know, where it's like the ex-girlfriend or the ex-boyfriend or whatever, and it's like, And people go on forever. And I mean, don't get me wrong. There are times when it's warranted, right? There's like that one time where it's like, oh, fuck, that person was really bad. Or something happened. And, okay, I get it. You know, that does happen. But if it's a pattern, if it's over and over and over again, you got into a relationship, you have this person, and then it's like, oh, fuck. You know, it becomes almost a stereotype. Like the thing about ex-boyfriends or ex-girlfriend, everybody has this sort of like it's uh it's almost expected that you're supposed to hate them and think they are evil and fucked up and i'm like wait wait time out you are the one who brought them into your life yeah, you are the person. one who picked this person so if over and over again you have this list of crazy ex-girlfriends or asshole ex-boyfriends that's saying something about your ability to judge character you know that's on you more than on them if it's a, if what you're saying is real so this whole thing that is, like, culturally accepted and even encouraged to have this idea that access are crap and they are evil, I find it really twisted and kind of mentally sick. It's like, what the fuck is up with that?
0: I think it's just some sort of mental salve for somebody, especially it happens over and over again. Oh, these horrible people, they keep attacking my life. It's easier to think of it that way than to realize maybe this good person got away from me and it was me causing the trouble. Yeah, there's for that, sure.
1: right? There's A, there's the fact of maybe you're not right in your assessment and you're talking mad shit just because you don't want to deal with your own crap or take responsibility for your half of the story. Yeah. And B is if you are right 100% in your post-relationship assessment, what the fuck is wrong with you in your pre-relationship assessment that you keep peep- keep peaking horrible people? That's, again, I would more than spending energy about how bad they are, I would start rethinking my priorities and my ability to uh, uh, choose. There's got to be a, a certain fear
0: that now that you've let that person go, their life might blossom, and it's easier for someone to accept, oh, this vile creature that I've left in the distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I can really... because I don't know. I pick once and go, so I don't have much... Uh... Yeah,
1: and to me it's like... When I hear of people who are able to keep a somewhat decent rela- relationship with some of their exes, I find it healthy. I find it spent like, what's There's your a tip? level
2: of maturity that needs to be reached because mm-hmm. of course, I've been on both ends of it where I'm like, oh, I need to call up my gal pals and get a gallon of ice cream and, sit sure. and cry over it and talk about how terrible he is. But in time, I've learned that it's even with fault of either party of sure. myself or the ex, you need to learn to forgive and forget and it's actually nice to kind of keep in touch and you know wish them well when they're not doing yeah. well and you know hope that they are. Yeah, and unless
1: you are dating the night stalker when then you realize and you're like okay was that was probably right. He had nice yeah. cologne. Though. <laughs> right.
2: But, something that they've done to enrich your life and they were in it for a set amount of time and there's something that they've added and you can't really sit there and be bitter the whole time. Maybe not everything was great, but there was something at some point that was. Yeah, so I obviously
0: never met Kelly Spillane and we'll just leave it at that.
1: <laughs> no, but that's the thing, right? There's the um, most people, I mean, the reality is when I look at anybody, including myself, I find well, when I look at myself it's so pretty, but no uh, uh, Get the mirror. Get the mirror The well, one of the issues is I'm gonna find stuff that I like a lot and I'm gonna find stuff that I'm like, oh Jesus, that one time what you said was really fucking stupid Mm -hmm. or the way you responded to this or the you know, there's always and of course, it's not all born equal. You know, somebody may be 90% the sweetest person in the world and they have their 10% of crap. And somebody's, yeah, occasionally they pet a dog on the street, but other than that, they are Hitler kind of thing. And, you know, so there's, it's not that it's all the same, but there's pretty much, there are very few human beings on earth who are going to be 100% amazing or 100% awful. Most people are going to be a, be a mix of these. And so people you get into a relationship with, there will be something that you share that's awesome, that's brilliant, that brings something to your life, which is why you choose them. And then there are other things you don't click on. And as time goes by and you grow as people, maybe what brings you together grows even more or stay the same and it's amazing and it's worth it. Or the annoying parts become come up more often or they gain in prominence in the person personality and so it's the right thing to do is say adios see you Mm -hmm. and you know choose different paths but that does not mean that then the entire person has to be you suck as a human being i never want to have anything to do with you it's again there's a time and a place you know if you're talking about the crazy abusive person yes you should cut ties and no it's not wise to say oh let's remain friends no that's a bad idea so of course i'm not generalizing it to every relationship because that's bullshit there are times when it's a good idea to cut cold turkey and never from again but again you're given one in your life if you do it more than once either you are ridiculous in your judgment after the relationship or you suck at picking people and in either case you should look more inside and figuring out what you can do to change that more than uh, worry about the fault of oh this person yeah it's like it's all their fault so i can keep going the same shit i've always done and not really have to look inside much more
2: And with continuation of a path like that, there's a level of insecurity Mm -hmm. that is developed when there is the healthy kind of like, oh, we're just, you know, we're friends. We're able to talk on occasion, you know, maybe grab coffee. We're in the same area. And that, you know, the fact that we have normalized the fact that, oh, the exes are are terrible always and they just are going to cause problems and they're going to try and come back into your life. There's a reason you guys broke up. Mm -hmm. And... It makes it hard for people to see that it's okay mm-hmm. to have that relationship, and so that's becoming the more normalist thing: is to trash the ex's name and oh, yeah. they're they're the devil, you know, they made it horrible. There was nothing ever good about it. But
1: again, you are the fucking person who brought them in. Exactly. So if if it's true what you're saying, then the second question is: Why are you so you? stupid? <laughs> exactly. That's the gig. I love Facebook in that regard. Like I see some type posts of people who are like, that's, of course, (laughs) that's the answer to everything. And I love when, you know, you scroll through the walls and they're like, I love my husband. He's the best. Three days, later, Three days later, he's like, fuck you, bitch. I can't believe you <laughs> stole my wallet and ran away. I hate you. And she's like, I hope you die. There's nothing like, more wow.
2: amusing than living vicariously through other people's Facebook status relationships. The passive-aggressive, I can't believe you would treat someone like that. I would never, never a direct calling out. Right. Just always a passive-aggressive, oh, yeah. woe is me. And then, oh, yep. God, Genius. I don't understand it.
1: Well, on that happy note... <laughs>
0: Isabella time, because as we all know, raising daughters is the most important thing a man could ever do, to straighten his ass out. That sounds like a fair statement.
1: Now, uh, first, Isabella, something that you guys... You shall be whipped if you don't comply with such instructions.
0: I would comply if I were you.
1: Yeah, go on YouTube and uh, I'll put it in uh, the link in the episode notes. So check out uh, thedrunkentowis.com, the uh, notes for episode 90. I'll put a direct link to a YouTube video where you get 90 plus seconds of Isabella in the cutesy princess outfits reciting the most badass lines from movies in history, from I, smell the Nap- I love the smell of Napalm in the morning to all the Conan lines and everything else. You really nailed a bunch of them, but now I'm going to have to dig deep for volume two. Yeah, no, exactly. There's, there's more to go for, but this one was glorious. Yes, so yes. check it out because it's good stuff. So as far as things that I can actually tell you that don't require the aid of YouTube, let's see. Oh, this was a good one. We were stick fighting in the backyard. And uh, at one point, because beating each other with sticks was not exciting enough, she said she directed me what I was supposed to tell her to get her going. So she said, like, hey, tell me, hey, shorty, I bet you can't fight. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'll say it. So I did say it, and this allowed her uh, to give me her comeback line, which was, you say that because all you see on the outside is a little girl, but you have no idea who I am inside. So that was a good moment. And it's funny that she planned the whole thing. She planned my line so that she could give her comeback because, you know, it's not just that she had. Uh... I'm in fear for you for about 30 years from now. Yeah, i fear already <laughs> all the
0: time. But i was oh. in fear at the moment. Mine arrived. So,
1: And on that exact note on fear now, here is what you get this moment. At one point, I told her not to kiss random dogs, because every time she sees a dog, she goes to hug them and kiss them. And I'm like, not all dogs are the cleanest ever, you know? My mangled hand could tell
0: you that story. Oh, I- do I want to know? When I was five, I was like, doggy in a car, hi, doggy. and put arr, it the... arr, and ripped my whole palm out of my Yeah, hand. that's not... On the day um... we were moving, nonetheless, so oh, everybody was very happy. That oh. Like, we were literally loading the car with supplies for the trip. Fucking wherever dog. we're headed out of New York to the next stop on our multiple See, I got bit by a dog once I
1: wanted to look for him with a baseball bat See, to after me that. people
0: don't understand to me most dogs look like Cujo
1: yeah if there's it's a big
0: dog could that's go either nice way. And fluffy. Yeah. I understand. But still, there's that five no, good like about
1: a... She's good about asking. Like, she'll ask the owner, hey, can I pet your dog? And they usually tell you if it's a mellow dog or not. Yeah. And uh, But then once she does, she gets a little overboard. And I'm like, so I told her, you know, you can hug them, but don't kiss them. And he was like, why? And I'm like, well, you know, most dogs are not the cleanest. And he was like, yeah, but my nonna, I meaning my grandma, kisses Nico, who's her dog, right? And uh, my reply to that was, "Well, that's because you're not nice, filthy, and that's gross." <laughs> Isabella gave me a dirty look, and she was like, "The only thing that's filthy is your attitude." And I was like, "Okay, that's a win for you, right there." I I stand uh, properly humbled and defeated. What can I do? Oh so, my god! <laughs> yes, on that note. Go to YouTube, check out the link. It's I, good stuff. So my daughter is off
0: for, uh, off for the summer, so she's actually coming home. First time she'll be home for more than like five days in three years. Mm-hmm. And what's exciting about that is when will she ever have 11 weeks to just chill out again in her adult life? Yeah. But perhaps never. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a bit jealous. But at the same time, it is nice to have her back. I'll be able to sleep so good. <laughs> with, not stressing with that, a that piece of my mind It is forever up in San Francisco marching around hoping that everything's okay.
1: Well, I talked to her. She said you don't sleep ever anyway. That you wake up in the middle of the night That's been and fixed. run around. Uh, I don't know if I told
0: you. Yeah? I had my sleep apnea machine, but it was like a face mask, which right. like a fighter pilot or some crazy shit like that, because I thought that would work. Yeah? No. There's a tiny one that just goes on your nose, and for whatever reason, it helps. I'm out. I sleep for six or seven hours at a time now, six or seven which I hours haven't done
1: for me a nap. It's like See, I for me, get I started. haven't slept
0: three hours in a row in Ooh, five years. Jesus Christ! that's oh, and the acne is bad. I mean, they say like I stop breathing for yeah, that's 70, bad, but... 80 seconds. And that doesn't happen. I don't know if I do. I look a little younger to you. It's because my machine.
1: I was about to say, yeah. Who's this freshman about to enter college? I just went and saw the, the, the special effects guys had them wipe all
0: the age off. That's what it is, huh? Cool. Anyway, as always, daughters are awesome and uh, very complicated. I have a dream today, and now we cross the ether plane for a visit into Bellelli's dream time. It's dreamtime, everybody.
1: So, what's tonight's nocturnal excitement have in store for? Us? Um, you could hope that it didn't involve violence, but it does. We of don't course. expect that anymore. Yeah, I know. There was some crazy woman, man—I couldn't quite tell. Somebody, some person, was attacking me, and mainly because they were crazy. And, uh, initially, I try to just kind of use good grappling to control them, but they kept coming after me no matter what, and I can't just sit on them forever and never leave. So eventually, so my dream self got a little upset. And since we're at the top of a building, I just tossed them off the building. So that's how we start. It's an easy way to handle it. Problem is that after I got out from this building, I realized that there are more Crazy people everywhere I go, there's like it's kind of like the zombie equivalent of craziness of just people who are going completely insane and slightly murderous. And worse yet, I'm beginning to realize that I'm going crazy and I'm beginning to lose a grip on my own mental sanity. So and I feel like in the dream, I feel this physical struggle inside of me. And I'm just like, oh, shit, it's taking a hold of me. It's-. And then all of a sudden I felt the insanity leave my body. And, you know, this scene that was crushing me down, just leaving my body and feeling like, oh, I'm healthy again. And that was that. That's the dream. Well, you got to kill them. You got to kill them. What can it be said? That's my motto. I think we should put it on coffee mugs. I think you got to kill them. You got to kill them. But
0: we are. Uh- I, I, I was telling you earlier, a I, I new sleep apnea mask, mm-hmm. that I'm actually sleeping deep now because when I wasn't sleeping well, the dreams were – I could literally slip out of consciousness right into the dreams. Mm-hmm. But they were always, I would tell you, building the submarine or just really – we got to get this done, we got this done, just really kind of super stressful situations. Now the dreams are deep, 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 and they awesome. slow, and I, don't, I can't grasp them. They're really full color as I wake up, as they tend to be, but they evaporate before I can get pen to paper on all of them.
1: Um, but that's, that's a start. Got to that's be a better. first. Yeah. And I think I'll, think I'll be able
0: to get more um, – what's Carlos Castaneda call it? Uh something sleeping lucid dreaming
1: yeah yeah yeah. I mean one thing that one can do for remembering dreams there's always the drink a shitload of water before going to sleep because you will wake up to pee and usually you'll be able to have a flash of where you were right before that dream tends to be in a giant concert hall somewhere where you can't find a bathroom (laughs) no not the dream that's you should be dreaming whatever else and Uh, then you wake up uh, I've literally had that dream where I'm searching everywhere there's gotta be a place
0: to piss here somewhere and there's uh, nothing and then you wake up and go
1: Jesus quickly Or uh, worse yet is when, like when you are a kid and you dream that you have to pee and you think that you are in the bathroom, And then you realize, "Oops, I was not on the bathroom." That'll wake you up. Yeah, that's unpleasant. But
0: all right, rubber sheets yeah. for everybody. Well, it's story time, everybody, brought to you by our friends at Shirted Time It's story time, everybody! Brought to you by our friends at to Design T-shirts. They continue to be our pals as we weep and uh, miss our friend Bennett. But uh, be sure to check out their awesome designs, which continue to be new and improved. I saw some; they're doing some tie-dye stuff right now. That's really cool. They are
1: great. They are awesome. And you know Bennett, that's it. Sets things up in a way that could go without him. Uh, But yeah, their work is amazing. I love all of their stuff. It's just, I only cheat occasionally, such as today, because I'm wearing a Conan shirt that they don't have. But other than that, it's sure design all the time.
0: So from here forward, we're not going to weep for the man anymore. We're going to celebrate his life and uh, be happy that we got to know him while we did.
1: Indeed. And speaking of celebration of life, here is a dude who died not so long ago at a considerably old age. Specifically, I think it was like over a hundred years old or something crazy like that. Uh, the man we're gonna be chatting about today is a man by the name, the name itself is pretty cool, Joe Madison Crow. Now, if you're gonna have a that's, that's one of my pet peeves about names, how I don't remember anybody's name ever, because he's like, my name is David, uh, the fuck does that even, it's a sound, it's like, uh, you know, 72,000 people are named David, that I'm not gonna remember. But if your name, you tell me, hey, my name is Joe Madison Crow, I'll probably remember. Hey, oh, Madison Crow, of course, that's him. That's Uh, why a boy named Sue is such a good choice. That would work. That's memorable. You you remember, indeed, yes. So Joe Madison Crow has a crazy, badass life in so many ways. Um, Among his many accomplishments was the fact that he was the last uh, Men within the Crow tribe out of Montana to be recognized as a war chief of the tribe. Now, war chiefs are, well, big deal. You know, a bunch of guys get together, want to pat you on the back, they say, you are our war chief. No, no, the requirements are strict on this. There are four things that you have to accomplish. Then we're talking about you being war chief. If I'm going to guess ahead of time that Donald Rumsfeld didn't do any of these four. None of those fours. Okay. So here we go with our list. The four things you need to be able to do is lead a successful war party on a raid, capture an enemy's weapon, touch an enemy in battle without killing him, uh, because that showed, you know, their their idea was, you know, you can shoot somebody from 200 yards away, and that shows your marksmanship, but it doesn't show bravery. Bravery is if you stand within touching distance from an enemy, that's badass. And not killing. Yeah, that's some serious scary stuff. And last but not least, uh, stealing an enemy's horse. Now, these things are... Maybe the first three are difficult but possible in a modern war. Stealing an enemy's horse, good luck with that. That's not going to be so easy in modern warfare where horses are not typical. Well, apparently good old Joe Madison Crow, was born in 1913, managed to accomplish all of these things during World War II. So let's look at how the good man managed to do it. You know, he was born in Montana on the Crow Reservation in 1913. And, you know, many of these guys who were coming of age around, you know, people from his generation, they would grow up where their grandparents tell the stories about when they were fighting in the plains war and they have all these badass warrior stories and they are they can sit around the fire, pat themselves on the back and talk about what badasses they are. The new guys can twirl their thumbs because there is no more intertribal warfare, there is no warfare against the United States, there's really nothing for them to tell, and yet they are raised in a culture that value the warrior virtues, bravery, the toughness, defeating fear, bullets flying around you and you manage to stay with it, you know, all of that stuff tremendously. So how do you do it? The only way to do it for them would be to join the US Army. Uh, Regardless of what they are fighting for, the fact that you are fighting is badass enough. It's like it's what allows you to do all these things. Well, World War II had a pretty good... Yeah, and in fact, he will. And he has good training, you know. He spent his childhood not playing Assassin's Creed, but doing the real deal. No, kind of. You know, you're in Montana in the middle of nowhere, so you run around all the time, cross frozen rivers, ride uh, bareback horses, you know, just... All good manly stuff, you know, running the snow, that kind of thing. So, he had a good, uh, good basics to say the least. And then he became, just to show that he was a multi talented kind of man, he became the first member of the Crow tribe to graduate from college. Ended up got uh, he got an MA in anthropology from USC in 1939. And then was well, he had to be down here for that. Yeah, so he, he came to L.A., was living here for a while, was in the process of working on his Ph.D., not exactly a super common thing among um, among anybody, really. When you consider in the 1940s, the majority of people were barely going to high school, let alone, you know, the, for American Indians, that was pretty crazy. So he's working on his Ph.D. at the time when World War II breaks out. So he figured, well, you know, this is my, my opportunity, so let's go. He enlisted as a scout— in the 103rd Infantry. Of course he did. And off to the beaches of Normandy he went. Whoa. So, First wave? Uh, I don't know that. That I'm not entirely sure. But survived it. He managed to combine an odd traditional slash like, modern military kind of thing. He always wore bright red paint in combat. Uh, he had an eagle feather tied with his helmet all the time for good luck. Um, and it is where he does the famous four things, right? So in one case, they give him um, um, they give him a mission where he is to lead a few men into combat, like he's gonna be the leader of the raid. And specifically, the idea is there's like this German fortification with machine gun bunkers, uh, trenches, you name it, you know, everything. Uh, what was known as the Siegfried Line, which was not the place where you wanted to smash into, and you know the American army had to figure out how to get through, how to get through this. Well, at one point his commanding officer said, "Yo, Medicine Crow, how about you grab a few guys and just charge across the field through the barbed wire and the bullets and everything else, and then uh, grab some of the TNT the dynamites that has been left there by a previous American position that got demolished." And then try to blow up some German bunkers and open a road for us. And under the file, a commanding officer who could truly inspire confidence, he was like, Well, you know, if anyone can do this, it's probably you, which is kind of like, Yeah, it's probably suicide, but, you know, maybe not. Maybe you can pull it off. (laughs) Look at that. So, yeah, with, you know, Marisicro is like, Sure, why not? Full of, full of excitement. Yeah. Let's go. And he promptly does exactly that. Managed to bullets flying, does his whole thing, pick up the dynamite, blow up German bunkers, and off he goes. So that in itself was a big deal that, you know, then in itself you can pretty much be done from the war, right? You know, you have done it. It's awesome. Well, shortly afterwards, as uh, they are among, he's among the very first guys pushing through the Siegfried line and going what essentially were behind enemy's line at this point. They are going into a town, and uh, they are kind of running around behind German fortification. And at one point, he got, Madison Crow got separated from the rest of the soldiers in his unit, and he's running like crazy through some family backyard, essentially when running in the opposite direction there's a Nazi with a rifle they barely see each other a second before before they do a full on uh, football style helmet into the gut kind of thing <laughs> they both end up on the ground but Madison Crow being the badass that he was still hands clutched on his weapon the Nazi instead has his rifle flying away and so there you go Madison Crow picks it up there? captured a weapon from an enemy now, because he's insane and he, despite the fact that back then there probably weren't as many movies, but, you know, you know, you always see in the movies the scene that make no sense when there's, like, the good guy has a weapon and the bad guy doesn't and the bad guy kind of Gets goes, it like, from him then- no, not even, when oh. he challenges him. He's like, oh, if you're a man, you would fight me, you know, you only do this because you got the gun. And then the good guy puts it down and they fight end to end, which makes no sense. He's like, that's what, what they did. That's exactly Madison Crow feeling that he wasn't very sportive to just point a gun to a dude that disarmed to put his gun down and proceed to beat the hell out of the Nazi. I already think this would make a great movie. It totally would. They are fighting back and forth. At one point, um, the Nazi apparently had some good uh, ground skill, managed to turn the table and um like get on top medicine crow wraps his hand around the dude's throat starts squeezing until the guy's clearly beginning to go out and he might just squeezes him to death but in a moment of one of the strange war moments uh what are likely to be the nazi's last word is that the guy suddenly freaks out and start calling for his mom and that's Madison Crowe. Is like I can't fucking kill a guy. Was calling out for his mom. That's just not right. Plus, he touched an enemy. So that's yeah. A so else. he lets it. He lets him go. Just capture him, and that's it. Right. So one more off the list: capture, touch an enemy, and uh, capture him. But
0: well, that's amazing. That environment with bullets flying everywhere and those guys trying to kill you every day—that you have that sort of compassion
1: yeah 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 no it's this is a
0: lot about this character
1: it's very interesting to say that's why it makes an awesome movie right yeah, here totally the, by the way any of you guys who are uh, already called it who have 50 million dollars at your disposal and you're planning on a movie please call me i yeah. like to write it we have a production company ready to shoot it so yeah let's make it happen the, so we're three out of four, but where the fuck do you find the horses? That's a little bit more of a problem in World War II. Well, France in
0: 1943 doesn't sound that impossible.
1: And that's exactly what happens. They see a small farms where a bunch of German soldiers were. They took over the farm and they were there. And they had a whole bunch of horses there on the farm that the Germans were using. Since they figured we took the farm, might as well so joe promptly volunteers saying hey do you guys mind if you give me two minutes before we attack this farm let me do something here and so he sneaks in crawls his way under the fence among the horses hops on one open the fence lets out his war cry Germans, So all the horses start stampeding out of the corral. All the Germans come out, start shooting at him. And he happily sing you know, he's so excited about the whole thing that he starts singing a crow war song as he <laughs> ran off with 50 horses. And uh, yes, that's uh, that's Joe Madison Crow. There is a great clip of his in. um What's the guy's uh, name who does all the documentary? Ken Burns. Ken Burns did a documentary about the Great War. And there's like a two or three minute clip with Joe Madison Crow, And you see him as an old guy and he's telling his war story. And he's cracking up half of the time. He has this big, huge smile. As, it's brilliant. You know, absolutely that is quite a story. Of course, then he goes on to become also the tribal historian for his tribe. Does all this beside the war itself? Does a lot of great things for his tribe.
0: Well, along with IQ and uh, and a Magellan slave, I think we might have a new person in the uh, Awesome Dude Hall of Fame that doesn't get enough recognition. Yeah, Joe Madison Crow, the man. So, since we're telling stories, and our pal Muhammad Ali passed away last week, do it out, which uh, to me. For everybody who loved Bruce Lee, because I definitely dug Bruce Lee in the 70s, mm-hmm. but it was Muhammad Ali who oh, just, yeah. oh, my God. I was just It was awesome. On every step. Of it. I found a couple of awesome stories, you know, because people have been telling stories everywhere, but these these are incredible. And the first one is um, his friend, and it ended up being his biographer, a guy named Howard Bingham, mm-hmm. um, was hanging out with Muhammad Ali one day. I think they are in a car. And Muhammad Ali asked him, uh, if I walk down one side of the street, And Larry Holmes, Joe Frazier, George Foreman, and Mike Tyson walked down the other side of the street. Who would get more attention? And his friend was like, well, obviously, everybody would come and see you. He's like, okay. And so, well, uh, what if Jesse Jackson was on the other side of the street? And the guy said, well, naturally, they're all going to come and see you. He finally asked, well, what if I was on one side of the street and Elvis was on the other side of the street? And the guy was like, oh, no. (laughs) And he came up with a great answer. He says, well, overseas, without question, right. you would definitely get more attention. But Elvis was pretty popular in the United yeah. States and maybe even maybe even a little more for Elvis. And Muhammad Ali said, well, I guess that's right. Elvis has been dead for a long time, so they'd probably want to see if it was really him, <laughs> <ill." laughs> Which is just awesome, man. And apparently that's the kind of guy he was. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Ali had the best lines. He was he a poet.
0: The best lines, man. And I don't know. I didn't know this till I, I, I read it. And as much as I hate people with their camera phones, part of me wishes that somebody had had a camera rolling because Elvis and Muhammad Ali kind of became friends. Right. And not like buddies sure. all the time, but they would visit. And at one point, there's a famous piece of video where... Uh, Muhammad Ali had this crazy robe covered in all this shit. And Elvis had given it to him. Oh, that's funny. Howard Cosell was like, where did you get that beautiful robe? And Muhammad Ali, Elvis gave it to me. So apparently, when Elvis died, Muhammad Ali showed up to speak at his funeral. Really? Just kind of out of the blue. Yeah. So he came up and he gave this great, you know, just, I want to say soliloquy. that's not the damn word. I'm going to have to fix this. Monologue. Monologue. On a, what a great guy Elvis was and a more kinder, gentle person you'll never meet. And, you know, he's so happy to get to know him. And then he sings, don't be cruel, acapella, top to bottom, every note, every word, spot on. Wow. And essentially drops the mic and walks out. So he's walking out to his limo, right? And there is some little dude with his Bible. And since Muhammad Ali at this yeah. point was Islam, he's you're going to burn in hell and blah, blah, blah. And just giving, he kind of gave him a look. He got into his limo. No goes about 10 feet, stops, while he gets back out. And is apparently kind of a little guy. And he walked over to this cat, grabbed him by both arms, picked him up, kissed him on each cheek, and sent him back. To- <laughs> And that's why he was the greatest. <laughs>
1: yeah, man. Ali is just... That's the thing about Ali. Even, like, stuff that you're like, uh oh, Jesus, really? Nation of Islam? Not the greatest thing I've ever seen in terms of, you know, fucking killing Malcolm X and all of their... Te- you know... On Muhammad Ali, you forget it because it's like the guy is so cool in every possible way yeah. that you for like you're more likely to gloss over even things that if somebody else did them you'd be like uh, that's a bit of a bad spot on it. It doesn't fucking matter when you're talking about Muhammad Ali. It's <laughs> just he's so larger than life, and the fact is that he always came from a good place in terms of his intention. You know, unlike the nation of Islam I had a shitload of very anti-white rhetoric. Muhammad he was cool with all of his white friends. He was always cool with them. He was always – he did not have any of that sort of uh, – he had an issue with a white system. He did not have an issue with individual people. And oh, I how think he stood that's up against what, the war? So yeah. no, no, I mean, no Viet Cong
0: ever done anything to me. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the man I was I think badass. he shook the nation of Islam pretty quickly, too. I think he was actually Muhammad X for a little while. Really? And then yeah. just – oh, this is – and just went straight Muslim. yeah and became Muhammad Ali but just talk about somebody with such an impression I think he's yeah. up there with Jackie Robinson in importance to America for opening our oh, eyes yeah. And no, I mean he's as big as it gets in every possible way yeah super fun guy anyway 2016 proving to be an epic year for taking out my heroes yeah so. what the fuck anyway that's awesome story time moving on cool Funky music means it's time to end another fine episode of Drunken House*. 90 episodes in the book, plus bonuses. We're getting towards the magic number 100. And, and yes, we are beginning to carve together a 100th episode, a super uh, best of, best of show. So awesome. that should be exciting. And uh,
1: here we are. Another great one in the books. Indeed. Please, sweet folks, remember to use our Amazon link. Uh, it's easy, just a couple of extra clicks and it helps us a bunch. And shall we just give proper credit to the sweet folks who have donated? Absolutely. Let's do that by screwing up their names. Let the pottering begin. So we got Lynn Shirley, Adam Wesnewski, David Peterson, Alexander Kuzner, Jonathan Waterloo, Stephen McKee, Maurizio Mezzatesta, Robert Primos. Aaron McLaughlin and Samuel Jones. A lot of familiar names there. Yeah, I mean most of these people are on a repeat uh, donation like they do a monthly thing and that's their gig which is really really sweet.
0: Yep, we super appreciate it. I want to say real thanks quickly to the Planetary Society invited me up to the top of Mount Wilson. To look through a 60 inch telescope that for four years was the largest scientific piece of equipment on the planet. Check you out. Albert Einstein looked through this telescope through the same eyepiece. And they showed us amazing things, you know, but this star is 600 light years away. This nebula is 2200 light years away. This galaxy, the light's been traveling for two million years to drop into your eyeball it was amazing it's amazing that that's there and it is available I mean you can actually get parties of like 20 up there we actually had a potluck so people are chowing great food all night long while they just pointed it at whatever we wanted to look at and it was amazing and it was a treat and I sure appreciate it so check out Mount Wilson there's definitely a website up there and um, thanks so much you crazy nerd I am No, no question and thanks for my
1: sweet daughter for popping by to visit us that was a very pleasant surprise uh thank you to Daisy House Music for as usual the songs. Um as usual our affiliate Audible and uh for audiobooks and audio entertainment and Coracao for fancy wild chocolates from Northern California. Uh anything else we should Oh of course there's um I, I always forget to push it, but yeah I did the audio version of my book, Not Afraid. So you guys are allergic to reading on a page. That's a, There's an easy fix by having the downloadable version that you can get. There's the link in the episode notes. Since you guys listen to podcasts, that seems like an easy transition to check out an audiobook. So there is that. I read mine, but I read it in your voice. so it made That's it more how fun. it should be. It's echoing through. Yes, that. that's definitely how it should be. And, of course, all our T-shirts who are as awesome as always. The EQ, Surfing Nietzsche, uh, Dionysian Parade, the Drunken Taoist logo, one better than the next. So, all the good stuff. So, we're getting ready
0: for the summer sort of hiatus, but there's a, plenty of great interviews coming your way. You probably won't be doing a fresh one like this for six weeks or so. So, have a great summer, everybody.
1: Yeah, but we pre-recorded stuff, so you'll still get your roughly every two weeks releases Absolutely. of something. Cool, man. Indeed, Have a good summer. I shall see you on the other side.
0: Maybe I don't wanna hear this. <laughs> no you don't. <laughs> in questo cazzo, in questo caso le provvidenza
1: di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Oh man, didn't that scary to think? Nice. <laughs> so don't kill people, do that instead. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. <laughs> <laughs> this was great, it's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. We've been yeah, having a great nice. hour here. Dun, I completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're or out? outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's so. let's continue. <laughs> Did you ever see the movie Tomstone with uh, Val Kilmer and... Uh,
0: uh, your accent. It just... Whatever that movie is you were trying to tell me about. Can you translate for me, please? I believe the word was Tombstone. Yeah, that
1: one. Exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you.
3: That's Get why. back to work.